Well, good morning, Chili Bible. Good to be back with you this morning. Uh, we had a great time visiting with family last week, but uh, it's good to be back home and be with you. Um, we're going to look at uh, a couple verses from the book of Hebrews this morning. You might not think of Hebrews as a Christmas book, uh, but it uh, it deals with the uh, the very thing that... Uh, that Christmas is all about, and uh, we're going to look at that. Before we do, I want to to draw your attention to a couple of things. Uh, first of all, over the last couple of years, um, I have uh, made it a practice to read through the Bible with some of my friends here at Chillicothe Bible Church, and if you would like to be one of those people who reads through the whole Bible in a year uh, with your pastor and with other people, who are uh, trying to be in the habit of being in God's Word every day, then I'll tell you what we're going to do this year, okay? This is called the one-year Bible, okay? This is mine, coffee stains and all, um, and because uh, you can't read your Bible without an addictive substance in the morning, all right? Um, <laughs> but in any case, um, we... Uh, this is the version I'm going to use. I'm going to... Uh, but there, you can get it for free... On Uversion, okay, which is an app. If you have a smartphone, you can download Uversion. You can find the NIV uh, One Year Bible. And that's what it's called, the One Year Bible, okay. Um, and you'll have readings from the Old Testament, readings from the New Testament, readings from Psalms, reading from Proverbs every day, 365 days worth of Bible reading. Okay, so if you're not in the habit of doing this, um, this will be a great way of getting in the habit because you have every day an opportunity and you get reminders. If you do it on your phone, you get reminders. Um, hey, you haven't read your Bible yet today. Get on it. Right. And that's that's good. And the accountability and the relationship that we uh, you have opportunity to comment back and forth uh, to say, you know, hey, I didn't get this and to have other people kind of weigh in. Uh, and explain or work with you on it. Um, it's a great thing. If you uh, don't have a smartphone or hate reading on your on your phone, uh, you can pick up a copy of this on Amazon for I think somewhere between twelve and fourteen bucks, depending on who you what seller uh, you're operating from uh, on there. Um, but in any case, it'd be a great thing to do and something enjoyable to do. If you want to be part of this, if you've not done it before. Uh, see me, and I'll make sure that you get uh, lined out on doing it with us, because it is a lot of fun. Uh, we're about 20 days, essentially, from the end of uh, this year's Through the Bible in a Year. And uh, this year we did it chronologically. Uh, next year we're going to do a little of each, a little Old Testament, a little New Testament, a little Psalms, a little Proverbs each day. Uh, so it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun time. Uh, also want to highlight for you uh, this this new ministry that we're hoping to get going here, Celebrate Recovery. It is a Christ-centered addiction recovery program, okay? Uh, I know that in our community, there are huge needs for this. Uh, bars outnumber churches about three to one. Uh, we're about to have our first pot shop here in town, which will be, I'm sure, a blessing to everyone in town, right? Uh, nothing bad will happen with that. Um, but in any case, um, 
uh, addiction is a very serious deal. And we want to combat it with the gospel and with an opportunity to help people to recover and to find, uh, find hope that replaces addiction. Uh, and to give people uh, lasting hope for every day of their life uh, that is far better than getting high or getting drunk or whatever. Okay, uh, if you'd like to be involved in that ministry as a as someone who is helping us to facilitate it, uh, we have a sign-up sheet uh, out in the foyer and an opportunity to do that. And uh, if you would like to be a participant in that ministry, we will not have a sign-up sheet. Um, when we get it organized, you can just come um, because we we know that some people. Uh, even within our own walls, sometimes struggle with, with things that get hold of them, and we want to help you find freedom from that. One last thing. We are signed up on the 21st of this month uh, to ring the bell down at Kroger for the Community Needs Agency. What you may not know is that there's a little bit of friendly competition among the pastors of the churches in town, and we are all, we all are signed up for this, okay? And it's kind of a point of pride as to who uh, has the full day signed up and who raises the most money. And so, um, I'm just going to lay that out there, tell you we have a few, a few slots left for some enthusiastic bell ringers. Uh, Community Needs Agency uh, helps people in a very practical way. Uh, with things like rent and, and groceries and so forth, heating bills and whatever. Uh, really is kind of a, uh, it actually is largely sponsored uh, in a significant way by the area churches and so forth. And, um, and we do try to be of great assistance to the poor in our community through that. So if you would like to, uh, to help me stand tall at the next pastor's gathering, I would appreciate it. All right. Um, on the 21st of uh, of this month, we're gonna we've got like I say, still a few open slots on that. Now let me pray for us, and then let's open God's word together. God, our heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so good to us, that you are gracious beyond measurement. That though we are sinful, though we are often prone to wander. Uh, Father, we pray that you would bind our hearts to you, that you would help us to walk with you in holiness, that you, Father, would be pleased uh, to, to reveal your word to us here this morning by your Holy Spirit, uh, that it might uh, sink deeply into our souls, that it might change us from the inside out that we might walk with you day by day in a way that is pleasing, in a way that is full of hope and joy uh, at this Christmas season, especially. And Father, we pray uh, for, uh, for your honor and glory to be uh, manifested in this service. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, let me read a little bit of Hebrews uh, to you, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning verse 1. Long ago, I'll read more later, but I'm going to read this first verse. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Beginning of verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. I don't know if you remember what it was like to be a kid at Christmas time. Some of you are kids, so you don't have to reach back uh, very far. But, but those of us who have a little pepper, I mean, a little salt in our pepper, um, at, you know, around our temples and so forth, right? Uh, or less hair than we used to have. It may take you a little more. Uh, a little more of a, a think back to when it was like to be a kid. Maybe you grew up in a family that that Christmas was an absolute extravaganza. You know, you would come out and and there's just presents everywhere and candy falling out of your stocking and so forth. Uh, maybe you grew up in a family where you didn't have much and you weren't sure if Santa would make it this year for Christmas. But I'll bet you, however you grew up, that there was one Christmas, at least, that you remember waking up, and it was magical. And where the, the anticipation gave way to joy and to excitement when Christmas finally came. And sometimes, as we grow up, we lose out on the joy and the anticipation of Christmas. And it can become, for us, a ritual and a tradition and just something we do in December. And we can have all of the magic sucked out of it as it becomes kind of the same old story due, I think, to a combination of boredom and stress. And my prayer this morning as we look at God's Word together, as we look at some of the ways in which God, as the writer to the Hebrews says, did speak to our fathers in many, at many times and in many ways through the prophets, that God, the Holy Spirit, would restore to us some of our joy, some of our wonder, some of our anticipation at the reality that God, in fact, did come and come near to us, became one of us at Christmas time. And so, and then He came on top of that to save the likes of you and me. So I want to look at, um, look at your Bible. This is not an expository message. Uh, necessarily, this is more of a, of a let's look at the Old Testament kind of in, in summary form as a whole. Story of Christmas begins a long time before it came on a midnight clear and angelic shouts in the little town of Bethlehem. It begins actually way, way back in a garden. You may remember God created the first people, named them Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, and they ate a piece of fruit. And it wasn't just any fruit. It was a, it was the, a piece of fruit from the one tree out of all of the abundance of all of the fruit trees of the garden that they were not supposed to eat from. It was the only command that God had given them with a consequence, uh, the only one that had a negative aspect to it and God said I've given you abundant provision and you can freely enjoy all of it 
But don't eat from the one tree in the middle of the garden. For on the day that you eat of it, you will die. But it's apart, apart from that, he said, you can be fruitful and multiply. You can rule the earth. That's how I have designed you to function. And, there's, and I've placed you in the middle of a place of abundant and perfect blessing to enjoy and to celebrate your lives together. But it wasn't very long. And that one tree that was forbidden began to have a, a real attractive power. And the serpent came, deceived the woman into eating a piece of fruit from it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate from it. And from that seemingly small act of rebellion against God, people were plunged into sin. They were separated from God. They were separated from one another. They were separated from their formerly good relationship with the rest of God's creation. It ensured that all of their posterity, all of the human beings born out of this first couple, would also be born sinners. And as a result, God judged them. He cast them out of the garden. And He frustrated a portion of the purpose for which they were made. But God, in the midst of that judgment, also made a promise. You may remember. Chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis. That one day there would be a man who would be born, whom God called the seed of the woman, who would reverse the effects of sin and would put an end to the reign of the serpent who had led them into it. And it wouldn't be long, though before that one small sin would give way to bigger ones. In the next generation, that one small sin gave way to murder, and then to idolatry, and then to polygamy, and then to the building of entire civilizations that were divorced from God. Adam and Eve's descendants began to multiply and with them came the multiplication of all of the types and kinds of sin that you can imagine. But at Christmas, what we remember is this, that despite all of that sin, that God came anyway. And as you skip forward, in the Bible, what you see in Genesis chapter 6 through 11, you read the story of Noah and his sons because as humanity has spread out across the earth, they have multiplied in their sin until the chapter 6 tells us, till all the thoughts of the intents of the heart of human beings was only evil all the time. And God chose out of that wicked civilization that existed at that time Noah and his three sons and their wives eight people in all and God said not because they are better than the rest but because I have chosen them I will choose these people and save them and convert them and change them and I will destroy everyone else but I will save this remnant of people so that people will not be eliminated on the earth and God saved Noah in the ark along with the animals that he 
uh, called to Noah and sent with him in the ark and all of the rest of the animals on earth and all of the rest of the people were destroyed because of their sin. And God says there's going to be a brand new start. And when they emerge from the ark, what do we find? We find very shortly after that, Noah drunk and naked in his tent. And we find one of his own sons dishonoring him. And then spreading out from Noah's sons, we raise up more civilizations and they devote themselves to rebellion against God. They build themselves a tower up to heaven with an idolatrous center of worship at the top. And so God decides to divide all of these people and he divides them into nations by their languages to spread them out and to slow down the progress of sin and rebellion. And despite all of this rebellion and sin, God kept His promise. And at Christmas, He sent His Son. God came anyway. If you skip forward further, you see the stories of the patriarchs, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons. And among them, chief was Joseph. And you see in that family the beginnings of a new start, that God is going to take one group of people. And by the way, he takes, a, he takes Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, which was a center of worship of the moon god. And Abram was probably a moon god worshiper. And God comes directly to him, speaks to him, and converts him into a follower of his. And he calls him into covenant relationship. And he says, you out of all of the people on earth, Abram, you're going to be the founder of my special people. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And what is God talking about? He's talking about the fact that this boy that was promised to Adam and Eve in a garden is going to come, Abram, through you. Later on, Abram gets a new name, Abraham. He has a son named Isaac. Isaac is a mess. He, uh, who, has a, who has two sons, Jacob and Esau. They're both a mess. Jacob gets himself four wives, which, by the way, you know what the punishment for having four wives is? You get four wives. <laughs> okay <laughs> um and it is a competitive nasty sinful mess from beginning to end and there is there are people who sell each other into slavery there's adultery there's prostitution there is attempted murder There is plots and jealousy and favoritism. There's enough mess in the book of Genesis with this family for several seasons of a soap opera. And you read this and you think, this is God's chosen people? These are the people through whom the blessing to all nations will come? Surely not. Surely not. 
But Christmas is a reminder that despite incredible sin, incredible sin, sins of which you and I and our families are probably not guilty, despite constant failure, even by God's people, that God came anyway. That regardless of the behavior of those he chose to bring his promise about, God kept his promise. God kept his promise. You skip forward 500 years or so and you find yourself with Moses and the people of Israel in Egypt. By now, the nation has become a nation of multitudes, of hundreds of thousands. And Moses leads them out in dramatic fashion, deliverance from Egypt through the ten plagues, and they cross through the Red Sea on dry ground. They walk out of Egypt. God redeems His people by the craziest thing you can imagine, the blood of a lamb on the doorposts of your house. Marking those whom God and His judgment will pass over. And He carries them through the water and drowns the Egyptians. And He speaks to them from Mount Sinai in fire and smoke. And the people are so afraid of God that they beg God not to speak to them directly anymore. Just talk to Moses. We'll do whatever you say to him. But while God speaks to Moses, the people decide that they're going to have gods like they did in Egypt. And while Moses is up on the mountain speaking to God on their behalf, they are down at the foot of the mountain building themselves a golden calf and making sacrifices to it and engaging in immorality around it. God gives them His covenant and they rebel against it from before it's even, the ink is even dry. He takes them up to the edge of the promised land and in their fearfulness they refuse to go in and so God tells them you can wander in the desert then. And that's what they do for 40 years. Not even Moses makes it into the promised land because at a crucial moment he himself rebels against God. The next generation comes and it's a much more hopeful thing because these are the hardened warrior children who have grown up in the desert who are going to take the promised land and they do. They go in with Joshua. They cross the Jordan River on dry ground and they go in and they take the land, mostly. They leave a lot of Canaanites still around. And it isn't very long before Canaanite worship starts to look really good. 
and pretty soon they're into idolatry and immorality again. And they get into this cycle over and over and over again. Of They get into idolatry and immorality and rebellion against God. And so God sends another nation to oppress them. And then they realize, you know, we wouldn't be in this mess if we hadn't abandoned the Lord. We need to repent and go back to the Lord. And so they do. And then God raises up a deliverer. But then when things get good again, they forget that how they got delivered by their faithfulness to obeying the Lord. And they go back to living like Canaanites until they are oppressed and then they're delivered after they repent. And for 400 years, this cycle continues. Until you get a brand new thing, which is exciting, you get a prophet. You get Samuel come on the scene. A miracle boy who grew up in the temple to be God's messenger to the people of Israel. And he is a great leader, a great prophet. Until he grows old and people realize, you know, the boys that you raised, Samuel, you yourself were a godly man, but your sons are wicked. And we're not about to follow them. And they decide they want a king like all the other nations. They had a king. They had God as king. They wanted one they could see. One they could touch. One that they could see leading them into battle. And we want a king like all the other nations. Make us a king, Samuel. Get us a king. Samuel prays and God says, give them what they want. I'm going to give them a king like all the other nations. And they get one. And his name, in fact, is so poetic. They get a man named Saul, whose name, if I can be a little idiomatic, means you ask for it. <laughs> okay. Literally means ask of the Lord. <laughs> okay. The one you ask for, here he is, a king like all the other nations. And he is wicked and sinful and rebellious against God. And so at the end of Samuel's life, God tells him, go anoint another king, only don't give them a king like all the other nations. Give them a king who will follow me. He anoints David. David eventually rises to become king, and he's the best king that Israel ever has. He leads the nation in worship and in following God. But he's also vengeful and adulterous. And the kings that follow him are, they walk in their progenitor's footsteps. They are sometimes faithful and sometimes terribly wicked. And it continues until eventually both the northern part of the 
nation and the southern part go off into exile. Despite David having the promise that one of his sons would be the redeemer who was promised to Abraham, who was promised to Adam, who was promised to Eve. Despite this promise, there's just a great variability between when they're obedient and when they're not. They're just like us. If you read your Old Testament, you do not think, you do not get the view that, you know, the Bible is the story of righteous people living righteously. What you come to realize as you read your Bible is that God is incredibly gracious to sinners. He is incredibly gracious to sinners. Because there are no plaster saints in your Bible. There are no perfect people with no flaws. There is no one, as you read through the Bible, that you think, well, there is a person I really should model my life after. Except one. Except one. Who's that? Jesus Himself. Because what the Bible reminds us over and over and over and over is that He had made this incredible promise of a Redeemer and you keep looking for this person. Keep looking for Him to come and you get more and more and more and more information about Him. You know He's going to come first from Adam and Eve and then He's going to come through Noah specifically through the line of his son Shem. And then you're going to get it through Abraham, and then through Isaac, and then through Jacob, and then through Judah, and then specifically through David. And then you can trace that all the way down through promise after promise after promise. And you read the stories of these people and you think, how in the world... Is God going to redeem and save sinners and turn around sin out of the line of these people? Because these people are in fact worse than Adam and Eve. They are rebellious from start to finish. They have their glowing moments of faithfulness. But they're sinners, one and all. And what Christmas is all about is the reality that despite generation after generation after generation of sinners and their sin, that God came anyway. And He came anyway to redeem those people. And by the way, to redeem us who are just like them. How many of y'all are glad that we don't have like the highlight and low light reel of your life like on a screen somewhere, right? <laughs> Me too, right? I mean, I have a few moments that I, would, that I would be happy to have other people see. Like, ooh, I was, I was really godly right there. We could put that on endless loop, right? <laughs> um, but I have a whole lot more moments where I would hang my head and cover my face 
and I bet so do you. And what Christmas reminds us of is that God came anyway. He came for the likes of those saints in the Old Testament. He came for the likes of these saints sitting in this room. He came for us. In the last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. He has spoken to us by His Son. And what has He spoken to us? That the Redeemer has come. That the Redeemer has come. That the long-promised Messiah, born of a virgin, the seed of the woman, the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord, has come. That's the story of Christmas. It's the story of a relentlessly faithful, promise-keeping God who despite abundant sin and constant failure kept His promise and came to deliver us. It's the story of God's great gospel grace coming to fruition in a virgin's womb in a barn in Bethlehem just like he promised from ancient days. And I think if you want to recapture the joy and the wonder and the anticipation and the glory of Christmas in your own soul, you've got to reflect on that reality of God's grace. That reading even the history of God's people is meant to cause you to understand and to realize at a deep level that it's a checkered history at best. That there is so much sin and failure you can hardly believe that God doesn't just wash His hands of the whole mess. But God came anyway because His grace and His love and His mercy and His forgiveness could not be thwarted despite a, an abundance of sin and failure. Despite millions of sins committed by millions of sinners, God came anyway. Look at this section here of Scripture. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Up to now I've been summarizing much of what the Old Testament says and the various ways God spoke to the Jewish nation. But the writer here points out that God's best revelation of himself was not written, it wasn't in a dream to a prophet, it wasn't in a vision given through an angel. It was in the coming of God's own Son. 
And he reveals him perfectly because he is God's heir. He is the maker of the world that we marred with our sin. He is the glory of God and he shares the same nature with the Father and he holds all things in this universe together. And that is the God who came for us. That's who Jesus is. That being our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the Redeemer God promised. He is the Redeemer who came. And when He came, He dealt, according to the Scriptures, with our sin once and for all. Once and for all. So that when God looks at you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, He looks at you as one whose sin is covered with the blood of Christ permanently and forever. So that He does not see you in your mess. He does not see you in your sin. He sees you through the cloak of Jesus' blood and righteousness. And He sees you dressed as Jesus. He sees you possessing exactly the same righteousness and holiness as Jesus Himself. And He counts you, therefore, forever acceptable in His sight. That Jesus dealt with human sin forever and ever. He's the one who, as Genesis chapter 3 predicted crushed the serpent's head and overturned the serpent's rule and replaced it with his own rule at his father's side and receiving from the father all things in the universe including the kingdom of God which he will rule as both son of God and son of David in fulfillment of every Old Testament promise. And as I reflect on these things I am amazed. I'm amazed that we are so deeply loved by God. I'm amazed that His holiness did not simply just wipe us all out. Because if the Bible were a book about the grace of Joe, it would not be this thick. Okay? Ask my kids how long Dad's patience is. It is not this long. Okay? would be like, you know, and Joe saw that, he, that all of the people that he had made were wicked and he wiped them out. End of story. Okay? It's not this long. You know why we have a thick Bible? Because God's grace is that extensive. That it covers the sin of every kind of people, of every kind of sinner, from every kind of place. And it takes this long to tell the magnificent story of a God who created people perfect, who, who allowed them through their own free will and rebellion to sin against Him and then did not destroy them but decided to come and redeem them and to bring them back into relationship with Him to make, them, to make them better than they were in the beginning, to put creation back to better than it was at the beginning. 
And it takes a long time to tell that story of how God did that and what the implications of it are. Is there any better story than this? If there is, I've never heard it. And I doubt I ever will because I don't think there is a better story than this. That God is this gracious, this good, this kind, this loving, this patient. That He allowed sin only until He could deal with it at the cross. And then He began to turn the clock back. And to restore wicked, broken, sinful people back into relationship with Himself in a way that you could not have imagined. At Christmas, we celebrate the fact that despite our sin, God came anyway to save us from sin and His penalty and power and presence forever. So before we all get busy with our gifts and our parties and our food and our, our enjoyment and our fun, our stress and our family and our spending money and all of that kind of thing, which is all good, well, apart from the stress, but all the other stuff is good. It's good. Let's not forget to remember with fresh wonder and joy the reality that of what Christmas is. It is an invasion of grace into a sinful world to sinful people to bring about their redemption. There's more to the story beyond the coming. The birth is just the initial portion, amen? But without it, there is no rest of the story. And it's a reminder that despite all of our sin, that the God who loves us came for us anyway. Because He loves us. And He wants us to be with Him forever and ever. He offers salvation freely to anyone who trusts and the promise that He kept of being the Redeemer who came despite our sin. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if anyone is here this morning who has never put their trust in Jesus Christ, who has never known the magnificent joy and, and the fantastic love of You as their Father God, Father, I pray that right now as, as, as we pray to You that You would be at work in their hearts by the Holy Spirit leading them to understand that You are the God who loves them. The God who loves them so that He sent His only Son to die on a cross for their sins, to take their place, to bear their penalty, that it might be wiped away, that we might be called the children of God. And that it is not because we are such good people that you did this, but because we are such wicked people who are so deeply in need of salvation. 
that out of your love for us you sent the Son. Father, we know there aren't any good people. There's just wicked people and then there's Jesus. And Father, we pray that we might put our trust in the only good person who there has ever been and receive from His hand by Your grace, redemption, and freedom. Father, help us as we celebrate Christmas this year to remember Your love and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.